Welcome to Good Enough Parenting, the place where not-so-perfect parents tune in to be reminded that our kids are going to be okay, even if we don't always know what we're doing, are making a million mistakes, and trying new things. I'm Carly Aroldi, a family play therapist, childhood mental health expert, and good enough mom of two. I may be the expert in childhood mental health, but you are the expert on your kid. And by combining my practical, peaceful parenting tools with everything you already know about your child, you and your family will experience more calm, more connection, and more cooperation in your daily life. So let's throw out the idea of the perfect parent and remember that our kids just need us to be good enough. Because if you don't feel like yelling at your kids sometimes, you're not spending enough time with them. Let's jump in. Hi, Good Enough Parents. Welcome back. In the past few weeks, I received three different messages from parents requesting the same podcast topic. So I know there's something in the ether. I know there's something in the universal energy out there that needs addressing. So I thought I would dedicate this week to talking about separation anxiety because it's been requested multiple times, which lets me know there's some struggles going on there. Also makes sense with the time of year. This is when separation anxiety starts to peak a little bit. And it's really common. Uh, So often parents call me or come into my practice with, my kid just won't leave me all of a sudden. They were totally fine. And now I can't drop them off at school or they get really upset if like, you know, they're getting a babysitter coming. So first, I just want to normalize that. It is really, really common for kids to go through phases where they feel more anxious sometimes and less anxious other times. So it's really common. And we typically start seeing separation anxiety around eight months old. That's when kids start to kind of become afraid of new people, new situations. And that's also tricky because a lot of times it's exactly when kids are starting childcare or daycare for the first time. So it's kind of tricky to navigate, but you know, it's really common to see it around eight, nine months. And then it typically calms down around three years old, but there are it is incredibly common in older kids as well. So for my practice, I like I said, I see it all the time. I see a lot of kids with separation anxiety, and this is just anecdotal. This is not researched back data, but I see it around ages four peaking a lot, which is that pre-K four year, usually right before they go off to kindergarten, and then around seven, that kind of first and second grade year. And of course, it's also going to ebb and flow based on what's going on in your life. What else is happening in your life? So if you recently experienced the death of a pet or the death of a grandparent, or if your child's having some social issues at school or academic issues, or maybe you recently went on a big vacation and a big trip. I've had so many kids struggle with separation anxiety after a big travel experience, or if their parents started a new job or any sort of shift in routine, you're going to see a little spike in this separation fear. It happened in my daughter in second grade when she got a new teacher, right? Where her teacher went out on maternity leave and then she got a new teacher and it was, you know, it just really raised a lot of anxiety for her, which makes complete sense. Like a disruption in our nervous system is going to lead us to feeling a little nervous about things. So how I like to frame separation anxiety is that it's a trigger of our attachment response. It's a time when something gets triggered in our system where we feel like we need to get reconnected to the people that we love the most. You know, a simple example of this, and if you've ever seen Love Actually, you know this story. Love Actually, shout out, great movie. Not totally appropriate for kids, as we found out this past Christmas when we showed it to our children. Whoops. Anyway, um, but there's a great line at the beginning, which is, 
So on September 11th, when planes were going down and those events were happening, the people were trying to connect to their most precious loved ones, right? That is an attachment response. Something scary is happening inside my body. I need to connect to the people that I'm the safest with, the people that I love the most. This happened for me kind of recently when I was out in New York for the night, had parked my car in the street, as you do a million times, got back to my car at the end of the night, and it had been broken into. And I I'm, I'm, was like a 40-year-old lady with two kids and a husband at that time. And as soon as I saw my car, my first feeling was, oh, I got to call my dad. I got to call my dad. Because that primary attachment response gets triggered when we feel scared. So that's what separation anxiety is. It's this your child feeling stressed by something, triggered by something, and needing to reconnect to the people they feel the safest with and they love the most. So it's really normal. And the other piece to remember is that anxiety is not logical, right? We can't talk to the anxious brain. It doesn't respond to reason. It doesn't respond to logic. So, you know, we have this little piece of our brain called the amygdala. It's our alarm system. doesn't respond to logic. So if you try to kind of reason with your anxious child, which is, oh, you know, school is so fun. You love going there and they've got finger paints. And of course you want to go. You don't want to stay home with mommy and clean toilets all day. No, you want to go and have a good time. Your child can't hear you and understand that logic because the part of the brain that's activated is not the one that's going to be able to take that in. It's a more primal part of the brain. I give the same example where if you're on an airplane and you're hitting turbulence, you can talk to your brain as much as you want about, oh, it's so much safer to be in an airplane than to be driving a car. And this airplane's been checked a million times for safety. You can do all that reasoning, but your gut is like dropping. Your heart is beating. It doesn't matter what you tell your brain. You're in a primal state. And also our brains are trained to look for scary stuff. This comes from like our primordial ancestors who were walking through the woods, looking for fruits and berries. And if they grab some berries that tasted delicious, that would kind of imprint on their brain, right? Like, oh, that was a delicious berry. Let's try to remember that one. But if they ate some berries that were poisonous and made them sick for four days, that's going to imprint on their brain very differently, right? They're going to hold that memory because the stakes are so much higher. So we're trained to look for things that scare us. Those are the ones that survived, right? We, those are our ancestors. So it makes sense that we have this anxiety. So separation anxiety is often a fear of something bad happening, either something bad happening to their caregiver when they're separated, something bad happening to themselves, something bad happening at the school. And, you know, we can get into how scary it can feel to be in a school system sometimes. Like we wonder why kids have this huge increase in separation anxiety when we're running them through kind of like scary procedures and drills a lot throughout the school month. So it all makes sense. It's all normal. And you're like, that's great, Carly. Thanks for the background. And what the heck am I supposed to do with it? So I want to kind of break it down into two categories. There's what we do outside the moment. So what do we do outside of the moment? What do we do outside of the moment? So not when you're kind of in the separation piece and trying to get away, but let's say it's the night before a child has to go to childcare or school and they say to you, I'm not going to school tomorrow. I'm, I'm, you can't make me, I'm not going to school. You definitely want to acknowledge how they're feeling, but you don't want to give it a lot of energy. So you might say something kind of simple like, oh, I know heading into school can feel really tricky, but tomorrow is a school day, so we're headed to school. 
If you can think of anything that will make it easier for you, let me know. And then I would walk away. What you want to avoid is getting into this push and pull back and forth about, you know, you are going to school and I don't want to hear about it. And don't say you're not going to school. Let them say it. Let them express that fear. Let them say what they're going to say. Acknowledge it, but then move it on quick. Keep life moving. Do not get caught in this like back and forth about, yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, I will. And you're also going to keep it really clear, really calm and consistent. I know it's a hard day. I know it's hard to get into school, but tomorrow's a school day and we're going. And then you keep walking. So also when you're in those kind of quiet moments, not in the moment of separation, maybe they're going to bed or maybe they are, you know, talking to you about how they're feeling in a connected way, then you can have a little more of the discussion. And what I might do in those moments, if they're like, you know, mommy, I just really, it's hard to go into school. I get so nervous or I hate when the babysitter comes and you leave, like those kind of talks. The first thing you want them to do is tune into their body. So you might say something like, your brain is telling your body that there's something to be scared of. Let's say, thank you, brain. Thank you, brain, for trying to protect me. But my body is safe. So you might dig into a little bit. Where do you feel it in your body when you're nervous? Oh, I feel it in my belly or I feel my heart go really fast or maybe I get a headache. So you're, you're bringing them into what their body feels because that's much more concrete than this nebulous idea of I'm scared. So we help them like calm their physical body. So it might be like, okay, you're feeling really nervous. Let's rub our belly and say, oh, thank you brain for trying to protect me, but my body is safe. Or it might be, you know, rub your hand on your chest. Thank you brain for trying to protect me, but my body is safe. So you're making it kind of concrete and giving them a tool to calm their physical body. You can use all sorts of other like tactics and tools like giving them a picture of you when they go off to daycare or, um, you know, keeping a picture with them. If you're going to be leaving the house, that can be really helpful sometimes because it allows your child to hold you in their mind, even if you're not physically present. We talk, we talk about like holding in mind a lot in mental health, which is even though my comfort objects or even though the people that I love aren't physically here, can I hold them still? Can I keep them in my presence? That same thing, like if you have matching bracelets, they can, or a matching piece of jewelry, you have one and they have one that allows them to like hold on to something physical to keep you in their mind. I had a family I worked with, they always did like matching stickers in the morning. So mom would put one sticker on her hand, another sticker on her child's, either stickers or temporary tattoos, all these other things that allow you to be emotionally present without being physically present with your child. Of course, you can also give them other comfort objects like stuffed animals, um, you know, anything that might be, you know, physically like soothing to them. In our house, our house will use crystals sometimes. Like I'll have like little rocks or crystals and I'll say, you know, this one's for really calm energy throughout the day. So let's put this in your pocket and you can squeeze it really, really tight whenever you get nervous. These sound silly, but they actually are a great way for kids to project some of the anxiety into something and they don't hold it as much in their body. And you can also remind them of other times that they were afraid about things, other things they were afraid of, whether it was, remember how you didn't want to go in the deep end of the big pool and then you did it and you felt so good, right? So you're, you're planting the seeds of resilience. You're reminding them what they can do when they feel afraid. And then of course you celebrate afterwards. The big piece is celebrating after the school day is not contingent on them not crying when they go in because they can cry. It's okay to say like, I know you might cry on the way to school and that's okay. We're still going to school. We don't want to have this threshold of you'll get a cupcake if you don't cry because 
a child typically can't help whether or not they're crying. The idea is we want to help them move through the fear and move through the tears and not just suppress it because that's going to just kind of lead to like a lot of like detrimental side effects. So, hey, no matter what happens this morning, when I see you at the end of the day, we are going to go and grab a piece of pizza. We're going to get a special trip to the park, whatever it might be. So, you know, when we get go back home, we're going to have a movie night or we'll play trains and just make sure you follow through with those celebrations so that can be really consistent. Also, when our kid is going through a phase of separation anxiety, it's okay to back off other activities. So families will come to me sometimes and say, oh my God, it's so hard getting them to school. And then they also don't want to go to dance and they don't want to go to soccer, all these other things. It's okay to say, hey, let's take a little break from soccer for the time being. Let's take a little break from dance and just focus on the times where you absolutely need separation. And I just, I've seen it a million times. If you pull back the other activities, just focus on the things that you really need separation time for, it fades much faster. And then they're able to get back into those activities after, you know, a couple of weeks, whatever it might look like. So it's better to back off and jump back in than try to power through every activity on their schedule. So for younger kids, you really want to practice shorter separations. It might be you know, mom's just running to the drugstore really quick or mom's running to the neighbor's house for a minute because they want to practice separating and coming back together quickly. Separating and coming back together quickly builds that muscle of resilience for separation. So those are things you're going to do outside the moment of separation. But what do you do when it's about to happen, right? What do you do when you're driving to the childcare center or you know the babysitter's about to come and it's going to be a total, you know, cluster F when they get here of stress and anxiety. So the first thing you're going to do as if you've been listening to the podcast, you know what I'm about to say, you're going to start with yourself. You're going to take a few minutes to pause. You're going to remind your own body that it's safe. I often say I put my hand in my heart and actually physically say, you're safe. You're okay. And then you're going to get the calm over you allows you to lend your calm to your kid. Remember, we have these mirror neurons, which communicate to our kid like how they should be feeling. If our mirror neurons are already activated, like this is going to be bad. This is going to be so stressful of a separation. We're starting to kind of let that seep into our child's experience as well. So we start with ourselves. We might, you know, take a couple deep breaths. We might do a body scan, do something to calm your own nervous system. And then the other piece is when you do the separation, you make it really, really quick, really quick. It's a, okay, I love you so much. You know, Nana's here. I'm going to be home in one hour. You could do a routine. It could be like you, there's two kisses and a hug and I'm out the door. The quicker you can do it, the easier it will go. Even if it means another adult has to physically hang on to your child Two kisses and a hug and I'll see you later. When you're consistent, consistency is the safety net of what to expect. So that consistency can also reduce the anxiety. If we keep coming back for one more hug and one more kiss and all these things, that actually revs up the anxiety because then the child feels like, oh, if I can keep pushing, if I can keep trying to, you know, um, make this bigger, I can loop it back in. I can hook my mom or dad back in. And also you want to have maybe a fun activity planned with if they're going into childcare centers, they usually do this really well because they have like, oh, we're getting right into tabletop work or pick a toy to play with or a craft. So getting them physically involved in something is a great way to 
provide that distraction. Um, if a babysitter's coming, already have something fun planned for them and the babysitter to do. I remember when I was young and babysitting, I think I got this right out of the babysitter's club. Like I would bring my own bag of toys and games and puzzles and stuff for the kids. So it was like something new they got when I opened the door. If you're having a hard time, like with separation with a babysitter or a nanny or a relative, have them bring stuff that they're going to play with together. Like, oh, I bought our special craft box or, oh, look, I brought these special new puzzles for you because that can be, you know, it's not going to solve everything. These are all little pieces that are going to hopefully shift the direction, but that actually will like decrease the anxiety of like, oh, there's something going on here. That sounds fun. Maybe a little something new and maybe it'll be a little bit easier to say goodbye to mom and dad. Don't ever just disappear. That is a big no-no where like, let's say grandma comes over and they're playing kind of nicely. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to sneak out now. And then maybe they won't notice that I'm gone. That is going to fuel anxiety so high because then the thought becomes, oh crap, mom can disappear at any moment. Uh, I'm just going to be playing and then she's going to be gone. This happened to me. My friend called me once when their three-year-old was having terrible separation anxiety. And she actually called me from the childcare center because she was able to drop him off and he was playing. And then she said, the teachers are telling me just to leave without saying goodbye to him. Should I do that? And I'm like, hard no, hard no. Even if it means the tears are going to start coming again, it's really important to give it a goodbye so the child doesn't feel all the time like you could just be gone at any moment. So make sure you do say goodbye. And again, at those moments of separation, do not get caught up in a lot of language and logic. Oh, you're going to have so much fun. Oh, it's going to be this. It's going to be that. Like that is too much for them. Just, okay, we're going to school. Grandma is coming and mom has to go to work. So when your kid is having a high level of separation anxiety, you also want to fill them up in other ways. So these are these are periods of time where you might be incorporating more extra special playtime, maybe some walks together, just more fill-ups, more hugs. They might need just more physical energy from you. So when we give them what they need in other times, it helps them regulate their nervous system and make them feel more connected to you when you're not there. And the biggest piece I'd say around this topic is that please remember that it's temporary. It is so temporary. I often wish I could form like a support group where I'll have parents in my practice where one parent is just like, oh, thank God we're out of that separation anxiety phase. And another one's just like revving into it. And you feel like it's going to last forever. Know that it's a moment. Know that it's a state, not a trait. And that it's going to ebb and flow throughout their childhood, depending on their stage of development, what's going on in their life, what's going on in your family life. And you will be able to ride out these waves and hopefully hopefully, some of these tricks and tips help a little bit with those moments. There are a couple of books I love for this topic too. One is The Invisible String by Patrice Karst, which is about how we're always connected to each other by this like invisible string of love. There's The Kissing Hand, which many preschool parents know by Audrey Penn, where there's a little raccoon, I think it is, and there's kissing on the hand and the, and the kissing won't wash away. And then for preschool kids too, I love Llama Llama Mrs. Mama um, by Anna Dudney. I think that's how you say her last name, which is just about how it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel scared. And mama always comes back. So these are just some ideas. If your kid is going through this and this was helpful, I'd love to hear maybe which parts of it you tried and maybe shifted things a little bit. Um, like I said, I know a lot of you are going through it because I got three messages in two weeks with the same request. So I'm always happy to give shout outs for topics you guys feel like you need right now. You can get in touch with me on Facebook and Instagram at Carly Councils. And I look forward to talking again soon. Thanks for listening to Good Enough Parenting. 
If you'd like to learn four simple play therapy techniques you can use at home today to create more calm in your family life, go to paceparent.com forward slash play to get a free video where I'll teach them to you. And you can always hear more from me at Carly Councils on Facebook and Instagram. And if you like what you heard today, please rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend, a sister, a spouse, any parent who could use a reminder that our kids don't need us to be perfect, just good enough. Until next time.